Hello, my name is Michael Kewell. And I'm Roger Bell West. And this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, one of the continuing series. And as spring brings sunshine and, and mayflowers and hay fever to our high wicken, um, we have four things to talk about. What are the four things we're going to talk about, Roger? Different sorts of GM and um, the, the good and the bad of them. Uh, we won't mention the ugly ones because no personal. We, we just assume this. Yeah. Every GM. Um, various sorts of apocalypse and how, how we can use them in games because there's not, nothing that spices up a game more than millions of deaths. And there's nothing we can do about it to stop them if they're coming. Yes, yes, absolutely. We can't, yeah. Uh, how, how to write a uh, campaign background when you are, like me, feeling utterly uninspired. <laughs> oh, uh, please send Roger some of your spare inspiration. And um, how, how to adapt an existing setting, uh, whether from another game or, or from books or other media, in, into one's preferred game. That seems it should be enough. Just about. We'll get away with it. Right, on to the first thing. We try, when we're analysing any art form, to come up with useful categories and uh, ways of describing what we're doing. And there has been, uh, for a long time, um, a movement to categorise the players that you find in uh, in role-playing games, the various types. You can see them in um, in Robin Laws's, um, uh, Robin's Laws of Good Games Mastering and in the uh, famous uh, simulationist gamer and role-player um, Divide uh, that the Forge came up with, and indeed uh, Strike Force, which was by the late Aaron Alston, which may have been the first published player taxonomy. Well, but we were thinking, is there an equal way to di divide up GMs? When you sit down at the table, you look across at maybe this chap you've never played with before, and after a few moments, you think, ah, it's one of those. Is he? Is there a useful way of dividing up GMs and describing them? I started thinking about this, but most of the results I got were extreme cases of where a GM goes wrong. And I'm wondering whether, as a result of that, what a GM actually needs to be is all things to all players. Yeah, well, ideally, yes. Um, he also needs to be omniscient, telepathic, and and uh, capable of creating great art at a, at, a moment's, at a moment's notice. And infinitely patient. And infinitely patient and knowledgeable. But uh, given that that's not what we've got, um, well, what sort of we'll talk about flaws to begin with, and and I've got I've got a different idea. But you talk about flaws to begin with. Well, there's one cluster of things that I've often seen go together. You've got a gem who likes preparing a lot, mm -hmm. um, but prepares in a specific direction, which is not unreasonable because you can't prepare everything in detail. Mm -hmm. And as a result, he generally wants the players to follow his plot. Yeah, the railroader. Yeah, I, I tend to call him a dirigiste, because I'm not American, yeah. but um, th this is the, also the, the frustrated author style of GM. You know, I've, I've got this great epic fantasy story that I want you guys to play through. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the gaming equivalent of the auteur theory of, uh, of uh, film directors. Except the players aren't being paid. Fair. Well, <laughs> quite. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to be professional to be an auteur. You don't have to be up with Hitchcock. Yeah, but if you want people to collaborate with you, it's generally a good idea to give them money. 
true. Uh, uh, well, what we want is people to to collaborate um, uh, uh, to, to, together. What the what the dirigiste the author wants is the people to listen to him and, and nod and say yes, Socrates, so often. I, I think with with all of these, a little bit obviously going to be a good thing. It's just when it's taken to an extreme, um, you get well, you know, I already know what's going to happen in this session, and you guys aren't doing the right thing. Yeah, quite. Uh, I remember the, the cry of a, a GM called Slim back in Nottingham, back in the early days in the seventies, who, who who said, um, who, who told us we couldn't do that because we were ruining his plot, and we told him what to do with his plot, and then he said. Despite all your precautions. <laughs> <laughs> so go, going to the other extreme, um, mm. if you've got a gym who particularly who's very good at improvising, yeah. um, you get what, what I call the impartial observer, who will say, oh, hey, there's, there's a world, now go out and find adventure. What, what do you mean you ought to run a plot as well? You know, go, go and find something. Uh, um, I, I, I've been prone to this in the past. I try not to be as much now. I, yeah, you can't... There, 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 is, a, there is a difference between... Um, between freezing it solid and just presenting the, the, the players with a sort of mass of jelly uh, about, out of which they're expected to produce a universe. You don't really have a... Oh, I, I mean, I've, I've done it myself from, from time to time, but I have at least tried to be one step ahead of the, of the players. It, it's great to have self-directing players. I certainly wouldn't argue with that. Um, hmm. Uh... But I, I think it's nice to give them some idea of here are some options, here here are some things you could could do if you wanted to, and that that even if they don't follow any of those particular yeah. leads, they can then say, okay, that's the sort of thing that we do in this game. You're right. There, uh, I was thinking of describing GMs in spectrums, you know, ranging from chaotic evil to you know, <laughs> ranging from in a in a number of different dim dimensions, and one of them that the the total preparation to total improvisation spectrum is cer is certain certainly there. There's also the. It's not on. It's it's a, it's slightly the same thing, but it's not quite. There is the rules driven and the situation driven. If you know know what I mean, the person who says it may not make any sense, but that's what it says in the rules. And the rules we have agreed beforehand. That's our engine. That's mm. our means of doing it. A person who says, "Did I say that last time?" Well, the situation's different this time, and we'll do it another way. Yeah, I think most of the gems I've known have been toward, towards the situation end of that, if only because one one doesn't want to break suspension of disbelief. And what 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 I at least as a GM want to happen, and usually what I'm happy with happening as a player, is the thing that actually makes sense in the yeah. context as we perceive it. Yeah, the, I mean, it is the rational way, way way of doing it, but there are people who want to war game, who want to simulate. I yeah. don't think I don't think we either of us tend tend towards that. I, I've seen this a lot more when I've um, flirted around the edges of competitive role playing, which I did a bit in the early days. And obviously, <laughs> if you if you're if you're being competitive, you have to have a consistent set of rules. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I never understood competitive role playing. At all, to yeah. be honest, as a as a concept, um, I've taken part in comp competitions. I've even won things at them, but it's not it's not what I, I get into into the into gaming to to do. To be honest, and I, I and my friend Graham, who consistent, who is the other other person I know who does that sort of thing, 
His attitude is basically, I don't pay any attention to the rules. That's the GM's problem. I just roll the dice. All right. No, that, okay. He, uh, another axis then is uh, level of organisation, which is not the same thing as level of preparation. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, it's when, when something comes up, how quickly can you lay hands on what you want? I mean, that might be in your notes or it might be in the rules. Mm. Or um, you can just have a very low threshold for saying, never mind, I'm just going to make an instant ruling and live with it. Yeah, the... I am, I am, I... I'm on a high... I'm on a medium level of, of preparedness myself, but my level of organisation leaves a lot to be desired. I'm not sure that going for all the tools of organisation, there are... So, I've been looking recently at, uh, at wikis and things like that that you can use to um, store information on and, and keep players up to date and store all the things that have happened and all the things you have decided. I'm not sure it would help, uh, to be honest. I, I don't... I'm not the sort of person who sits down and records everything and, and agonises, which, which is bad. I, I'm saved by my players, but you know, it's all too often. What I have found very useful is the idea of somebody, often often but not always the GM, writing a campaign journal. Mm. Not not necessarily recording everything that happens, but certainly recording the high points. Yeah. Um, and particularly if everybody else then gets to say, yes, I agree with that, or no, I don't remember it being that way. And then <clears throat> once everybody's agreed, it's it's the minutes. It's the official truth, yeah. whether or not it's exactly accurate. Um, and as a GM, I've found this extremely handy. What I should do and what I don't do is sit down after each session and write it all up whilst it's fresh in my memory, but I don't. What what records I have are kept by, by the players and then sometimes combined with my notes, my I, I keep a journal of um of the camp of the campaign which gets the stuff I planned in in to put into it, mm. the outline. And any odd notes I may scribble, which is usually bits of dialogue and uh, and notes to myself to do something later. Yeah, note note taking during the session is tricky. Um, some some GMs who who do this will slow the session down to take notes, mm. and I think that's a problem. Uh, the approach I've usually ended up taking is scribble a few words here and there. The more actual prepared session I have, the less I have to scribble. But then I'll have to look at the prepared session notes when I'm writing up properly. Yeah, I, I, I come across notes which I have no idea what the hell they mean, even just the next week. Yep. This isn't helpful by handwriting, as we said. I, I will usually try to get the write-up done the next day. Have you ever tried recording a session? I have. It is absolutely useless for, for long-term reference. It is quite good for getting the write-up accurate. Hmm. Um, because uh, I do a certain amount of voice over IP gaming, I can effectively have a free recording yeah. just as a function of the system there. Is it embarrassing? No, because I don't play it to anybody else. Uh, yeah, all right. I it, can be it, embarrassed it, all on my own. It probably would be if I did. Um, Go on, have you got... What, what else you might you have? Um, well, an, another GM behaviour I've seen is the frustrated player. Ah, uh, yeah, come on. Um, which... At, at the relatively benign level, it's just well, I'm going. I'm going to have an NPC who hangs around with the party. Yeah, all right, and, and Does adventuring things and whatnot. Um, at, at the extreme end, it can be, hey, I've got all these cool NPCs, and you guys get to watch what they do, which we've talked about before. Yeah, you get to sit there and listen to them um, 
explain the plot to each other. That that if you ever find yourself doing that, just go away and sit down and stop. Goodness sake. Yeah, I, I do know one GM who's who's very good at NPCs to the point where on one occasion he had two of them having having an argument with each other, and we were slightly worried in case they came to blows. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, I, in, in in general, I would say I, I, I like NPCs, mm. um, and sometimes I'm quite impressed with the NPCs I've come up with. But I cannot assume that the players automatically will be, and if if they don't want to hang around with the guy, they don't they don't have to. Yeah, in my current. Uh... Grip's Bainstorm game, I have a number of slightly wiser than the, the player characters, but also with their own agenda NPCs, who I I probably take too much pleasure in playing. The aforementioned Mad and Nun, that I mentioned uh, <laughs> a while back, um, and the the wise old village witch come wizard, and uh, and a, a, num a number of people, and but they're there primarily to uh, thrust the plot and information that the players can't get at at them, and I have I have fun with them, and I hope I make them distinct enough that the players enjoy being with them. But I've got to keep this tendency firmly under control because yeah, I like acting and I I like playing characters, and as a GM, you get to play a whole universe. It's, yeah, yeah, but but there, there there is the other side, the per person who just pulls back and is whose NPCs aren't interesting or just um, sort of, they're just sort of two pints um, a pack of peanuts and half a dozen rumours please. Yeah, oh, I suppose you could talk to the innkeeper. Yeah. Uh, mind you, I, I read a book recently which had one named character and everybody else was just referred to by the job they were doing. Yeah, alright, alright. I've also sinned in, in that direction. I'm, I'm terrible at remembering details and remembering names. I think, I think, uh, I think one of the one of the uh, virtues of an ideal GM is a highly retentive memory, um, but I have not got this, and um, I, f I forget characters' names five minutes after I've named them, and yeah. I and people look at me and say, "But Michael, last time when you ruled on this rule issue, you said," and I say, "I did. Did I do that?" It's honest shock. It's not me trying to have mm. things. My have my cake and eat it. It's it's honest incompetence. Well, that that's one place a game journal is useful for for the um, longest running campaign I've been in, which is the World War Two one we've talked mm -hmm. about occasionally before. Um, one of the players asked me, and, and I produced an NPC list separate from the journal, mm -hmm. simply so they can look up everybody they've met, because that's that's probably approaching a hundred people by now. Yeah, um, my longest run, running games, and uh, uh, and I have not kept good records. The annoying thing is when. I've done an NPC and it's made an impact on the players and they remember and I don't. It's a, a terribly shaming feeling. Mm, I don't think I've done that, but I, I tend not to have terribly impactful NPCs, I fear. But, but one of my flaws. Um, the, the the tactician, I think, is one who, one who doesn't create NPCs much because what he really wants to do is, is run a fight. Yeah. And th this is, to some extent, a, a myth, question of mismatch of player and GM expectations, I think. It's a use. It's a damn useful skill, and it's one that I wish that I had. My my players in my Wednesday night group complain that I always start all combats uh, with the enemy three combat rounds away, because <laughs> um, you know that's where I think um, that's the, that's the sweet point of uh, of them being a, the players being able to prepare and not being able to wipe out the approaching enemy at a distance. So I have to provide more of them. 
Mm. Uh, but they 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 make they make mock of me, and perhaps I don't describe things well enough for the more tactical for the more tactical players. I I should, probably should drag out the map boards more often. I don't know, I, I've never been big on uh, t um, maps and figures for for role playing, which is poss possibly one reason the um, remote gaming works relatively well because the sort of game I run, you don't really need to be looking at a map. I find it is it's dashed useful for. Games which are primarily tactical mm. for, oh, for dungeon fantasy um, st style games and for games where you are going to f find yourself in a lot of combat and you've got guns and you've got other stuff that you need to figure out. Yeah, though I would put in the proviso that if you're doing gun combat right, yeah. um, it lasts about two seconds. Mm, yeah, that is the problem. a problem with gun combat. I I I I I'll agree that the tactician, the heavy cases of the tactician, blend into uh, into war, are bending into war games, yeah, and away from role, what we we normally call role playing games. But that it is there for a reason. Yeah, it, it's very easy to was an option. You know? It's very easy to have a GM who wants slightly more of that than the players, or vice versa. True, and I, I think that's just something that has to be handled by negotiation. Really, and I I think. Whether one gets these sort of extreme behaviours depends to some extent on how much um, player mobility there is and how, how many players there are in a particular area. If, if you've got players who can go somewhere else, then they're, then they're less likely to put up with the GM who's dodgy, yeah. or, or at least not to their taste, because they, they can get into another game rather than just have nothing at all. So, and, and at that point, the GM can say, hey, I've lost all my players, what am I doing wrong? Whereas mm. if it's the only game in town, you may... Um, the, the German players may, may reach some sort of mutual accommodation that isn't necessarily what any of them would like or what any other player would like, but it's yeah. the particular mix that they've come to. And I'm lucky that I have long-term stable groups, and uh, I'm well aware that, uh, that I am lucky in that and there are other people. I'll tell you one type of GM, one type of obnoxious uh, GM that uh, must exist, though I, I seldom ever come across it, is the evangelist. Uh, the one who has a one true way of, of doing things and, uh, and wants to lay it upon you. I only say this must exist because I've come across sets of role-playing rules written by evangelists mm. and games that want to lecture me and tell me the right way to do it get up my nose more than a little bit. Yeah, I, I think the, the style of a session is probably going to be set more by the gym than by the players in most cases. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I, ha I haven't met anybody who, who was insistent on telling me that what I was doing was wrong. Yeah, but... Except online, obviously. Fair enough. Everybody, we're all wrong online. There probably are uh, dimensions and uh, spectrum that we haven't looked at here, and we would like you to hear from you mm. if you want to tell us more about the sort of GMs you have run across and um, have thought either wonderful or terrible. Is there any behaviour which is bad even in moderation? Well, mm. probably. Yeah. But I, I, I'm for the moment sticking to my theory that um, you know, moderation in all things and being very, uh, yeah, yeah, being it, very classically Greek about this. Indeed. Moderation in all things, even moderation. about 
to making big changes to a campaign. But a big change to a campaign might be the secret agency you were working for turns out to be bad. But what about a real apocalypse, something that affects everybody in the world? A big change that is really a bad, nasty change um, is, is how I would define an apocalypse. The, the thing that is going to destroy, maybe transform as well, but mostly destroy the world as, as they have known it. Yeah, and it affects everybody, not just the PCs. Yeah, um, the, the PCs are probably by definition some of the lucky ones. They are not dead in the, in the, in the first wave or whatever the hell it is. But they, they get to survive, they get a chance of, uh, of going on and doing other things. It's a very tempting sort of a setup because it is so primal. Because something terrible has happened, something expected or unexpected, and all you have to worry about is, are you going to be alive tomorrow? Yeah, explicitly post-apocalypse gaming used to be a reasonably substantial genre of the hobby, but uh, yeah. I think it pretty much vanished off after the end of the Cold War. Well, uh, yes and and no. That, first of all, I should mention the, the famous um, table that uh, Steve Jackson put into, I think, Murphy's, Murphy's Rules, his, uh, his universal How to Depict the Apocalypse game, which you rolled a dice, uh, I think, I think uh, three times. And on a six each time you survived, except the last one, in which you died miserably. And that was his point of view of why... Greg, Greg, Greg Kostikian's realistic after the apocalypse. Ah, that's with it, yeah. But the optional breath boxes tick off a box each time you take a breath. <laughs> but, and as, uh, but Steve Jackson was also very much um, against the, the, hey, the gung-ho American, we can survive this because we're Americans um, genre of apocalypse. But it's had a revival recently, I think, Primarily due to the uh, to to the fact that the Christian calendar has come around to a big round number. Yeah, that there have been. It does not pay a profit to set a deadline. No, quite. But they will keep doing it. I mean, I, I was just reading this morning about um, infrared um, surveys of the solar system are now saying pretty definitively there are no more big planets out there. I don't get you. How do you mean? A, a, a big planet like a gas giant oh, that. Has, has significant infrared output and there just isn't enough coming into us for there to be another planet. Was there, this there, an there, issue? There could be, well, Nibiru. Oh, that, the, the one out there that was going to erupt and, and, and destroy us all. Is that right? Is that, that the rumour we're thinking something of? something along those lines. Yeah. Right. Planet X. Planet, oh, yeah, all right. And so, 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 well, we've still got plenty of doom to go around. Well, obviously, the, the proper answer to this is NASA is suppressing the truth. <laughs> All right, so what's, what's fun about, about the end of the world? It depends on the mythology that's involved. Um, Up to a point. All right, go on. I mean, the, the, the classic American post-Holocaust approach is, yay, no more rules, now we can be real men. And... Let's be fair, that, that, that ties in with the Wild West and the whole classic Dungeon Bash yeah, ethos as true. well. You know, the, the, the hobos are us, but we're, we're right, because we're surviving. Yeah. Very Nietzsche. And it, it may even be we, we, are, we are keeping the true civilization alive. Mm. Uh, uh, qu quite a lot of post-apocalypse games that I've seen emph emphasise uh, build, building some sort of community and then defending it. 
Yeah, it strikes me there are three um there are three levels to post apocalyptic games. There's the there's the immediate there's the immediate disaster. The the zombies rise, um the great plague uh, wipes out ninety percent of humankind. You uh the triffids start walking. Mm-hmm. You um have to survive that and um and scrabble to to make some sort of stable existence on the other side. I, I've talked before about transformational moments and I and I think that this is a good case of one. Um it may well make a make a better uh, one shot game than a part of a campaign. Yeah. On the other hand, if you've got characters you really care about as part of a long campaign and the players are prepared to buy into it, then there will be much more emotional resonance there. When you kill them. That that than with people you've just met five minutes ago. Well, true. The that shades into the second level, which is recovery. You've got the immediate stages of recovery. The, you've got finding the, 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 the farmhouse and the farmland that you're going to be li- living off in a defensible position. Food, water, guns. Food, water, guns, um, medical supplies. And, uh, but that, that, sh- that's, that can shade into the, a generation later. People still remember the old world, but they were born into the new one. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the thing that most role-playing systems don't cover explicitly because it, it's on a bigger scale than the individual. And a, a system may well say you have found enough to eat by your foraging, but it, but it won't say here is here is how you work out whether you've got enough food to last the winter for your for your thirty people. I think I was. Well, I, well, I, I think that, that rain in in that case may may be crying out for a post-apocalyptic supplement. Mm-hmm. Although I want to give Greg Storsey any ideas. Yeah, have an idea, Greg. I think the apocalypse world sort of falls into that default, um, that position by by default, and it does talk about um, about your uh, your your stead, the, the 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 place that you hold if you choose one of the one of the narrative routes that's built into the game, mm. and um, it's also it's also about discovering what really happened to the old world, and pulling back the what what's uh, what bits of old world technology uh, you can, and um, dis- um, discovering um, whether civilization can be restarted. I think that actually, I think I would find that more more fun. I have, I was reading that than the immediate survival game. Hmm. I was reading um, GURPS Zombies, um, which which is obviously a, one of the the current big things. Which I don't know where it comes from psychologically, but it's very po- popular. Um, at, at the moment, the, the 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 dead start to rise, and everything is. I know where it comes from, um, culturally, literally, from Dawn of the Dead and all that sort of thing. I just don't understand the the satisfaction of it. I would. I, 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 I think that. perhaps because it because it is a safe one, because we know perfectly well it can't happen. It, it's it's more because it's absurd. We can we can we can we can play with it with a sort of detachment. Yeah, except. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there is something primarily horrible about walking corpses that bite people and turn them into walking corpses. It, it's just—it's just not fun for for me. But as I was saying, I would—I would rather be playing in the in the next generation game. In the in the the world has destroyed itself. The the immediate problem is is has more or less been dealt with. Yeah, we have survived. We've survived. Our, our parents survived the the fall. Uh, but we're here, and we've got to make a better world. The third stage is the far future, which 
blends into it's science fantasy, really. It's it's hero's journey by Sterling Lanier, mm. and uh, and uh, the chrysalids by John 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 Wyndham. You've got mutants, you've got and Davy and other novels which are popping into my head. There's a far there's the far future one which is mm. um is it called Metamorphosis Alpha. Or is that... Uh, and, and Gamma World. Gamma World, that's the one. I'm, yes, I, I, do, I do think Gamma World left a bit of a long shadow over post-apocalyptic gaming because there were some interesting bits to it, but I think a lot of people found it just too silly. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did find myself rolling up um, a sentient plant and thinking, am I going to have fun with this? No. No, honestly, I wasn't. I sat in my pot and gave sage advice. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I, I know people who were great fans of it, but it, it never, never really caught my imagination. Um, I did play a certain amount of Twilight 2000 mm. uh, in, in the fairly early days before most of the, most of the modules came out. That was and that, that it, it's basically a game of day to day survival as we were playing it then, yeah. um, which is quite fun but doesn't really have much for the long term. No, quite. <clears throat> and I, I understand that quite a few of the uh, adventures were dealing with bigger things. You know, the, the basic premise is you are American soldiers stranded in Poland after the Third World War, mm. and one of the big things was, right, here is here is a chance actually to get back to the USA. I think that, there, that this, it, psychologically it's a bit peculiar, um, the post-apocalyptic genre. If you look at the religious apocalypses, and there have been a number of games about, um, you know, angel, uh, angels come, God ends the world, everybody dies except you're left behind. I, I seem to remember one of them got banned from Gen Con. Uh, I can't remember which one that was. I, I, it was quite complicated, but there is a certain psychological oddness about the about the apocalyptic genre, about the the a feeling that you're going to be left, that you're going, going to survive, and that will prove you're right all, all along, or something. I'm not sure. It does seem to me that if you're getting enthusiastic about it, you're basically saying this this whole world is rotten, this whole civilization is rotten. Yeah, and the, it's not fixable. We've just got to get rid of it and start afresh. It will collapse in its own contradictions, as the Marxists have been waiting for capitalists to do for, for about a century and a half now. It's trying. It's trying. It's, it's doing a, a good job in places. And and H. G. Wells, I, he might put um, things to come at a uh, root of modern apocalypse because he he saw he he saw fit to destroy eighty percent of the world's population so he could create his utopia. It does seem to me that if, if you have the sort of story or campaign where things are ultimately better than they were before, mm. then you're you're effectively saying to hell with our current civilization. Yeah. And yeah, th this is not something you can assume you're going to get player buy-in for. I mean, I, I know some players who who are just not enthusiastic about this idea because it's just too depressing for them. Now. Fair oh, enough. True. I think, I, which is why I think I prefer the set, the second stage, the rebuild stage. There are still stores of tech and uh, stores of knowledge to be found in deep dungeons and, and dug out and, and argued about. And you can rediscover printing, rediscover plumbing, <laughs> make the world, rediscover democracy if, if you're living with, uh, uh, under, under the, the chap who's a baron because he's got the the biggest arm and the biggest sword. Or oh, he's got the only tank that still works. Yeah, um, I don't think tanks are long are, are long durable um, <laughs> without without regular supplies of fresh oil and things like that. 
Yeah, I'm not sure you can run tanks on, on peanut oil, to be honest. Uh, you, a um, modern gas turbine tank you can run on pretty much um, distilled alcohol. But... Right, well. But anyway. You um, heard it here first. A, a um, campaign that I've vaguely thought about running but people haven't gone for hmm. is in that sort of setting. It's perhaps about a generation off after the bombs slash plague slash whatnot. Yeah. I haven't developed this in great detail. Um, so old, older people remember what it was like before, but uh, PCs are young and stupid and highly trained in martial arts because martial arts don't need bullets or metal forging or other things that are tricky. And so, so that, that it's basically a, a dungeon bash in light disguise. You're, you're going out trying to recover resources, mm. but mostly doing it with bare-handed fighting because this is a thing you can rely on. Hey, what's down in the dungeons that they're fighting? Well, that would depend on the sort of apocalypse, and I, and I haven't cleared that up, up yet, but oh. I, I, I suspect cinematic mutants will be a part of it. Oh, definitely, yes. I think we've bashed around, around this, all the good and the bad bits. I, I, I must admit that I find that the games of hard scrabble will tend to dehumanise the player characters. Yep. And I, that's, that's one of the reasons I, I tend, to, tend to avoid that sort of thing. As a tactical challenge, you know, killing off the zombies and surviving is... If I were a more tactical sort of GM, then I'd probably go for it. Yeah, that's another thing to consider. Quite a lot of these early games were in, in the era where you could put up a tactical combat system and say, this is a role-playing game. Mm. Um, look at the Morrow Project, for example. Yeah. People are re reviving that, I believe. Yeah. But it does occur to me, in, in a sense, your uh, Earth campaign you've been mentioning occasionally... Yeah, it, it is post-apocalyptic in a sense because, as far as the, as far as those guys are concerned, hmm. uh, everybody they knew is gone. Yeah, and they are they are little islands in a, in a, a semi-hostile world. The fact that the world's already got orcs and elves and dwarves, and there are more species coming in on every brainstorm, is uh, is that the matter? But yes, it's very much like um, a rebuilding after the collapse game. They're building walls, they're building alliances, um, they're learning the ways of the world and the complications of it. And uh, they, they, because of the brainstorm and because they arrived with their own beliefs, they jumped over the um, everybody, oh dear God, everybody's dying bit. But you've still got the sense that the world outside is not the way it was before. Oh, definitely not. It's not the same world, for one thing. The moon has different marks on it. Okay, we've thrashed that out, I think. Hmm. I have a problem at the moment. Tell me about your problem, Roger. I'm working on a new campaign, and I've got some ideas about it. Uh -huh. But, possibly because I had a, had a horrible cold just after we recorded the last episode of this, mm -hmm. all sense of respiration has completely deserted me. I'm terribly sorry to hear this. Where do you think you left it? Under the sofa, probably. Oh, um, yeah. But I've, I've got some history. Yeah. And I've got the technological base, because, I, because I, I've started off saying I want this to be a cyberpunk campaign. Yeah. So I've, I've also got the overall feel. But what I'm, what I'm having trouble doing at the moment is translating that overall feel into, into a sense of what people actually do. All which, right. which is always the tricky bit. All right. <clears throat> go, back, go back to, to the start. What was the thing that made you think it was a good idea in the first place? What was the spark for it? Betrayal. 
Ooh. and Compromise, especially Compromise. Um, I have not played Ron Edwards' Sorcerer, but I gather the basic concept there is how much are you prepared to give up to get the thing you want. That's what I want this game to be about. Okay. What you... Mm. What... It, uh, I've read I've read some of the background you, you provided, and at least one of the players said, is this going to be fun? So, what agency are you giving the players to start with, I think is a, is a good question. And what are you going to... Don't tell me, because I'm going to be playing this. <laughs> what are you going to dangle in front of them as the thing they can have if they compromise or if they betray? Well, what, what I'm actually seeing is, is a sort of technological divergence. Mm -hmm. Because the big, nasty, oppressive powers yeah. are not putting blokes on the street with cybernetic legs. Mm. They're, they're using drones. Yeah. If you've got a cybernetic leg, it's because you're a soldier and you had it blown off. Mm -hmm. Or because you're trying to fight drones and things that move faster than human beings and you've got to try to get some sort of edge. Yeah. And I, I, I like the idea of that divergence of tech paths. So I, I want to work that into it. So obviously one thing you can do is get, get more and more tech implanted. Yeah. Oh, and that, you know, what, what, what that gives up is any, any hope of a vaguely normal life. Hmm. Because? Uh, maintenance and metal detectors. Yeah. Okay. You have to go... You, if you choose superpowers? In effect, yeah. Then you have to go underground, and not be on the. You have to give up. You you, you can have you can have a, a normal life as long as you don't attract attention with it. But there are certain places you're just not going to be able to go. I think one of the things you could do to give the the players an in is to outline the sort of reasons they would want to fight. I mean. Or believe that they have to fight because the way you're, you're depicting the, the 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 government, the future is very powerful and very oppressive. But if you go along, at least you'd be alive. Yeah, it, it's being oppressive by default rather than oppressive because it wants to be nasty. It's being oppressive because that's the way to make money. Hmm. And I think you need you need to uh, create some packages, varying packages of. Motives for the players to, uh, for the player characters to turn against um, the, the conventional world. You need to, you, know, you need to think about the sort of, of buy-in, the sort of thing that. Yeah, some revolutionaries are are, are just bonkers. Yeah, and I, I think we know some players who could play. <laughs> I am just a totally bonkers revolutionary. I don't care. I'm mad, me. But but what what you want to avoid is pe people who would be prepared to say, okay, to hell with it. I'm just tired of this. I'm going to turn myself in, turn my mates in. Yeah. Do 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 a little bit bit of time in prison, and then then I'll have a normal life again. Yeah. Well, that would be. Hang on. Who are they betraying? They're they're revolting, but that's not the same. Well, it's, it's, it's it's not an active rebellion. I feel at this point. Yeah. It might become one later, but it's it's starting in terms of fairly small stuff. S smuggling your pre-banned Somerset Brie. Mm. <laughs> Oh, this is a cheese campaign. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think you've got to uh, find some way to make the the 
to get play if you're not getting buy-in yourself then you're never going to be able to get yes i'm I'm, I'm i'm not i'm not pushing this at the players as hard as i might because i i want to get it more solid in my mind first i don't think yeah i th- uh, agency and hope that that's that's the that's the thing you've got to give the the the, the players a sense that what they do can make a difference and will there's only so far you can go going down mean streets and and being the virtuous man in a terrible world though that is a, another element that i yeah. think is important but you've got to give the cyberpunk is a, is a literary descendant of noir quite directly yeah i know it's, it's about that. it's about the same oppressive corporations that were here in the 1930s and that on the whole is a depressing thought and the, and the fact that having read some of the background you're you 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 you're only ever so slightly exaggerating the uh, modern corporate culture it was also slightly depressing but yeah, yeah well there, there's also the question of the religious dictatorship in scotland but leave aside the religion i, I fight against them no trouble um, <laughs> you've got to find yourself a way to uh, to 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 re-spark yourself yes and i'm not quite sure if i'm giving you this Look at it from... Maybe I should just go and read Neuromancer again. Yeah. I've come to the point sometimes when I've, I I have forgotten the the exciting thing that um, uh, that I started off meaning to do, but I tend I tend to run out of enthusiasm in the in the detail work that would be necessary to to get it get it ready. There comes a point when I look at it and I think there is no way I'm going to be able to get all this into something that the players can actively use. Another thing I've found is when I start making decisions, I'm fed up with the things that I'm closing off by making the decisions that allow other things. Mm. Yeah, that's... Well, part of the way you could restart it is by by going to the players and letting them build some part of the background. Yeah, some some of them have been very helpful in this regard. Um, And therefore... If you know, uh, if they're saying, well, why can't we have this? Why can't we have that? Do you know what would make a difference in this sort of world? Um, I haven't been doing that. I'm sorry. I, sh- I shall have to go back and have, have a fresh look. I, I will admit, I was one of the people who said, um, who thought, I didn't say, hey, this could be a bit depressing, but um, I'm, I'm willing to trust you far enough to see that you can make it fun, you know. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not setting out to to grind the player characters into the dirt much. Oh, that's very magnanimous of you. Even if you're just making a difference in a small way, and making a difference in a big way would get you killed, making a difference in a small way is still potentially a good thing to be doing. Um, I'm as as with anything I do, I'm go, I'm going to have to follow the mood of the table. Yeah, quite. You've got to generate some excitement in yourself and in the players. Absolutely. And I'm not sure Bree is going to do it. <laughs> National beer? Hey. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure I have any any um, useful advice at this moment in time other than throw some things away and, I don't know, maybe, maybe have a, a, a plot arc that you want to introduce. A plot arc would be, be useful a thing that you can hint at in the very starting adventures, in the very low-level um, stuff that they're doing to begin with, which hints at the possibility of a change later on. Mm. 
to, to, to give myself my own advice, what, what I'm, what I need to come up with is five, ten, one sentence adventure summaries. Here, here is an adventure in which you yeah. do X. Because if I, once I can do that, I know I've got a feel for the world and the sort of thing that happens in it. You're, you're not wrong. And incorporate that, that story arc into that. It helps sometimes to have an endpoint that you're aiming for. You may not hit it. You may, the things may change along the way. But if you have uh, the endpoint, like in, in one of my Earth campaigns, the endpoint was the Emperor's Millennium Eve Ball. <laughs> And they were all, all, all the Dathkin diving out of different worlds and collecting plot tokens. Dealing with the Emperor's little um, problem? Uh, the Emperor's little problem was firmly dealt with. Um, I, I should have made it nasty. I should have killed some of the player characters. But <laughs> that's, that's regrets after the, after the fact. But if you've got something you're aiming towards, then, then you can structure things and scatter clues and, and, and foreshadow right away from the beginning. Mm. I myself, um, I may have a problem, Roger. One of my uh, my Earth, current Earth Bainstorm game is uh, maybe coming to a pause, and I'm going to learn sometime this week if I've got to find something else to do for the next three months, with mm. uh, just three of the players. And my problem is I am suffering from the burden of... Um, of too much choice and too many things I would like to do, and I I know that I'm going to dither to the la till the last moment. Well, you, you've seen the thing that I've done, which is come up with five campaigns and get the players to choose which one they want to play. Well, I thought of doing a prospectus, but I, well, I tried uh, interviewing the interviewing the players, and uh, we did some board gaming last night. Mm. God, they were less than helpful, <laughs> and uh, I hope they're not listening to this. But um, but they're, they're, I got I got some generalities and some possibly useful thoughts. But I tried asking them, what is it that you would like more of? Is there anything we could do differently? Now there's just the three of us, and I got uh, I should not be feeling this way less than a week before I may have to come up with something. Multiple choice. Multiple choice. What do you mean by multiple choice? Uh, r r rather than saying what do you like, what do you don't like. Yeah. In, in a general, in an open-ended way, say, okay, if if you have a choice between this, this, and this, yeah. what what would you go for? I tried a bit of that. I tried. Do you want to be um, low-end, free, free, uh, footloose and fancy-free uh, persons who can go where where they want, or do you want to be people with a with a place you belong, maybe some power in the world? And I got a positive response to that. Give us, give us a place. Uh, Somewhere where we can, somewhere we can stand, where we can understand our motivations, mm. and we have some inbuilt structure, and that's a good resolution to uh, to to have. I'm not going to be offering them um, a, a a traveler a traders campaign, for instance, mm. uh, where your only your only motivation is is this going to pay? But at the moment. I've yet to get through the stage which I'm looking longingly at new game systems and thinking, can I get this inside my own head in time for them to play it next week? Uh, I, I have a simpler approach to that. You turn everything into good, don't yep. you? Which moves us on to our next topic, I think. <laughs> Music link here.
pre-existing setting. And this is something I like to do when I'm designing games myself. But what's a good way of doing this? Well, I would say one thing you've got to get straight in your head first, especially if it's a, if it's a game that you, you played in the original version, or, the, or some of your, your target players have played in the original version, is to get separate in your head the artefacts of the setting and the artefacts of the system, if you know what I mean. The yeah, well, th this is where I think a, a story-based game may actually turn out to be a good, good answer. Mm. What gave me the idea for this was um, thinking about Doctor Who, which has had yeah. several role-playing incarnations. And in context of the show and the sort of stories that the show tells, mm. it really doesn't matter whether a Dalek has more or less armour than a Cyberman. Yeah, um, I think I th I th I th they did actually have that battle to... Um... To, to sort oh, well, it out. The, the, the new show. We don't talk yeah. about the new oh, show. Oh, you don't talk about the new show. <laughs> right. Fine. But, um, I won't go there. Won't it, go there. It, it's, it's not the sort of thing that, that the stories support or care about. It's much more, normally you can't defeat them. If you, if you have a special super weapon, you can defeat them. Oh. And it seems to me that that lends itself not to a system like GURPS, which will go into detail about how much armour you have or haven't got, yeah, yeah. but to a system that go from a more narrative approach uh, it, it's early in the story you can't really do that yet or it's later on and you've got more power yeah I uh, hmm. though I, I find things that are that simple I find quite unsatisfying so this is clearly not the only answer I found um, on leaving aside more mum stuff I know that my reasons for tending to do this are not always of the best um, <laughs> they, uh, they, they range from my own laziness to that of my players because there comes a point where you just don't want to cram another system into your head. But sometimes I can say, this has its own system, but it isn't that good. It isn't giving me the support. The sort, sort of, of game that I'm used to is, is, go, is going to work at. I've taken a couple of game worlds that, in theory, came with their own systems and, and just chucked away that system. Yeah, um, we always go for GURPS. Well, we, I sort of do by default, but I have looked at adaptations to... Um, uh, to other systems, to more uh, to more modern systems like Rain, for instance. Well, as you say, some there is a certain amount of complexity there. I, I think any system will have a certain amount of mental load that you need to carry while you're running it. Yeah. And for me, it is simply e easier and I think better for the games I run for me to specialise in one system that I can then keep swapped in all the time. Yeah. The the problem there is that there's a flavour that comes to a game from the game system. There's a prejudice towards certain sorts of depiction and certain sorts of, of event and no game system however however bloated however generalized it is can be all things to all men all things to all gamers i'm editing out my subconscious sexism there you can't make it make a, a game and sometimes you lose you do lose things for example i thought gerp's castle falkenstein Sorry, Phil, if you're, you're listening to this, was one of the silliest ideas um, I've ever come across because it lost entirely the flavour of the original, very narrative, very character-driven uh, thing in favour of GURPS, which, which sort of dried out the flavour of it. I will admit I haven't played either either version of that game, so I can't, can't really well, I can't say that one. Yeah. I've he heard of people who played um, the White Wolf adaptations when those came out, GURPS Vampire and so on. Yeah. And... You lose some of the flavour, but on the other hand, you, you actually have a vaguely consistent system to build on top of. It's true. So, where you're saying 
I have these people who are superhuman, you at least have a consistent baseline for what being human is, and then you can add stuff to that. It, it's very noticeable that um, wh when the special, various special powers are scored in terms of point value, mm -hmm. some of them are, are worth vastly more than others when they were all rank one powers in the original system because they're vastly more useful. These are the same ones that the players said, yeah, I want to take that one and not that other boring one instead. Yeah. So, okay, that balance is a bit of a false god here, but uh, you, you do at least get a system that isn't creaky under the weight of weirdness. Well, yeah, I I found the original uh, GURPS adaptation of, uh, which was, was for third edition, um, which got published in uh, Pyramid of Tecumel, um, a little odd in that, that respect, in as much as it, it went down the list of... Um, of all the advantages and disadvantages that the non-human races had, and something like the Ahogia, who are um, eight eight-limbed, um, very smelly, very rude monsters um, of people, with eight sexes as well, um, mm -hmm. came out enormously uh, point costly because all the various things that they can do, they they don't have a behind. They they have faces on all sides. They can attack on all sides. Come out very expensive. Um, in GURPS in GURPS terms, but that's probably because um, the professor had a tendency to hand wave things in his own games, and he's never been well served, as I think I've said before, um, with game systems that have come along um, for his creation. Going back to what I was, say I was saying earlier, and this this is something that comes up with Tecumel as well: uh, artifacts of the world and artifacts. Of the of the system, there are. Uh, I've got a friend who uh, who keeps uh, saying to me that I ought to try and adapt um, GURPS to uh, Glorantha, and I keep resisting this. Various people have tried at various times. It's not. It's not a good. It's a, not a good fit. There is something. Um, there is something about about Glorantha which, if you if you try and take take the the memories you had of, of playing Rune, RuneQuest. And turn them into um, a gertsification. It sort of drains the the juice out out of it. I think one would have to start by saying it's going to be an awful lot of work. You cannot simply, for example, bodge on an existing magic system. You're going to have to custom design them. Yeah, and that's... there there are tools for custom designing them, but it's still going to be mm -hmm. a fair bit of work. Yeah, I, I I have I have complaints about the the yeah the amount of work that you're going to have to have, have to do. With with GURPS to GURPS magic to to make it work with various places. I, um, hmm. But what I'm saying is, what you want to be able to do is to look at the world conceived as a world, not as depicted in the game system, and make it work um, with the with a, a system that you like. You can't you can't always use uh, the one that you always use, um, though you always you always do. Well, I think it's worth remembering, uh, particularly in GURPS 4th edition, there are lots of tweaks one can make to support a particular style of play, um, particularly the various cinematic options. Hmm. Gunfights are notoriously lethal in, in standard GURPS, hmm. well, but if, if if you start turning on some, some of the options to do dodge and weave and get out of the way and hide behind cover and things in a cinematic manner, um, then that can go substantially down. And if you want it to, that can just make things safer for the PCs and not for the NPC mooks. Yeah, there's another design decision which I'm I'm not sure about. That I think is a campaign level decision mm. for for the GM to take. But don't you think GURPS has this pre has this prejudice? It, it as you said, it, it it has a good 
space model for human beings. It's starting off as somewhat cinematic realism. It's not brittly realistic. Yeah, though there are tweaks in that direction the, the, as well. The, that, that's the starting point, and you can then tweak it wherever you like. I mean, yes, it, it assumes a human baseline. If, if, you, if you want to tell a story that's mostly about superhuman um, mm. characters, I would say Champions may well be a better bet, because that's much more focused on the powers and what you can do rather than the skills and what you know. And so, and if you want to do the truly transhuman, if you want to do uh, godlike figures, then this sort of system isn't going to work at all, really. Uh, uh, and, unless Gertz in Nominee was another one which I thought, uh, no, sort of missing the point. Not unless I'm in unless you are the sort of comics system. fan who who likes really long character sheets with with detailed numbers about exactly what power a superhero has, which I I'm not, not particularly a fan, but I do think that's missing the point of superheroes. Hmm. All right. What sort of project gets your enthusiasm going when you are um, adapting to, to something? Well, I think there are two, diff two different things. A really neat setting mm. that I can take wholeheartedly yeah. is one of them. Um, and that, that might be from another game. It might be from a book or television series or something of that sort. Mm. Um, but that, that's where what, what I'm actually trying to do is tell the same sort of story that happened in that yeah. original source material, uh, particularly if it's book or television web where there's an example story to go with. On the other hand, and I think this is a separate process, one, one can simply say this particular thing in that source material was nifty and I will I will lift it, but not necessarily the things around it, mm. for, for my campaign. For example? Um, well, think, thinking as we've talked about, it, it would be very easy to, to pull Cybermen or something like them yeah. into a space campaign. All, all you need is a lost colony where pe people were developing robotics, and you can do basically the same thing. You you, you don't need all mm. the weight of backstory. What you what you have is robots who used to be human, and they want to make you a robot. Yeah, so that that is very easy to do. And in fact, uh, I I have found the the worse the quality of the source material, the easier it is to rip out one element <laughs> because it hasn't been well integrated with all the others. Yeah, and it's it's very hard to pinch a Tolkienian elf without the Tolkienian creation myth and other things, for example. Yeah, all right, D and D tried but didn't do it very well. Um, but you you get something that was made on the cheap in a hurry, and it's much much more likely to be. Yeah. I tend to enthuse about uh, game settings as such. I have these two unending pro projects, which will probably never get completed and, and, and very rarely see the light of day, which is to find something I'm, I'm comfortable running Tecumel with and, uh, and to adapt to harm to something I find more, um, more agreeable than Harm Master. That's class and level, I think. Sorry? It's 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 sort of class on level, and it's it's it feels a bit runequesty, and it's terribly chunky. It also has a magic system which is right out of Ars Magica, and and I'm constantly thinking, well, why don't I just use Ars Magica for this? <laughs> but um, I'm resist, I resist I resist that from time to time. The uh, the other thing, um, which is even further back on the back burner um, of game system, game settings, I'd like to adapt is Nexus, the Infinite City. Which I think is just crying out to be done as, as a GURPS version. Um, it is, it is the mashup of all mashups. Uh, any universe you want collapsed into into any other universe, in the shape of a city um, which has fallen through 
interdimensional holes into the bottom of the universe. Okay. It's great fun, and one and one of these days I will do something more than allow one of my campaigns to just pass through it. But um, do, does it is it going to support a a full campaign? Um, it could do the uh, the feel of uh, of the mysteries behind the city and surviving in the city and having the chance to uh, to go out into small vignettes in neighbouring worlds has a a really nice feel to it. But um, and the background uh, was was very well done, and the two releases for it were very high quality. It had a game system in it which was basically uh, what later became Feng Shui. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it was made as generic or usable as it could have been. Is it isn't the gamers' tendency to do this to 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 take and hack somewhat depressing towards Anna? Ambitious games designers? I think if you're designing a game, you know people are going to do horrible things with it. Mm. If you're an author, you can be surprised by the emergence of fan fiction. If you're a game writer, you know people are going to write games. <laughs> and they're going to use your stuff. Yeah, right. You throw it out and it's not... Well, anybody who's been a GM knows that uh, it's not yours once the players get their hands on it. Yeah. And uh, it's it, it you, you just bring it to the table. You don't... Uh, you don't make, it's still... People do keep writing new systems, and um, and sometimes I wish I, I wish I could shout at them. No, no, give me more settings. Give me more. Um, give me more realizable worlds that I can use. It's a different skill writing a system from writing a setting. Yeah, I, I don't have that. That's that 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 ability. I, not, Many people I'm, who do this aren't statisticians, and they they come up with funky dice mechanics that don't work. Yeah, there are a depressing number of small publisher titles on RPG Net. Which tell you that they are the next big thing, and you know, you know that they are not. Let, let's remember one of the reasons GURPS was so successful in, it, in its third edition phase was it used normal numbers to describe things. Mm, yeah, yeah. You say th- this is X yards away, not not this is at range C. Yeah. On the other hand, um, on the other hand, numbers uh, do depress some people and, fright- and frighten others. Though admittedly, I, I when I look at uh, at Fudge's um, range of possibilities, I can never remember whether astounding is better than super colossal. There are just or, too many of them. Yeah, should have been five, maybe seven at most. I, I think I think I would go with numbers. To be perfectly frank, I, <laughs> I never, I, I, I never, I, I never, I never felt comfortable saying right, roll your dice and see if you can make it awesome, or whatever <laughs> it was. We, we we have wandered a bit. I think. I think we have. All right, we have wandered. We have wandered to and fro, um, and we'll try and be more useful <laughs> and coherent next time. <laughs> that was improvised radio theatre with dice, uh, with me, Michael Hume, and me, Roger Bellwest. And we encourage you, we exhort you, we beg you to write to us and to tell us what you think of our our little podcast and give us more ideas of stuff to talk about um, you can send it to us at podcast at tekeli.ly and, uh, and here in High Wycombe as spring turns our elderly gentleman's fancies to um, games, games. <laughs> we wish you bon voyage and good fortune